We're going to sing for you this morning a song that we have sang many times, but still get requests for it. Talks about how the Lord reaches down and gets you out of a deep, deep ditch.
If you'll remain standing, we're going to read the Word of God. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 44. Glad to have all of you. I think this mic is a little loud. It sounds that way to me, and I'm hard of hearing. So I don't know whether that I'm right or not. But Genesis chapter 44. Glad to have all of you who are visiting with us today. We've been in a series of studies on the story of Joseph for quite some time, and this is study number 76. Let's read the first part of the chapter. Joseph commanded the steward of his house saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his coin money. And the servant did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning was light, these men were sent away. These are the brothers of Joseph. Joseph is the governor of Egypt, and his brothers don't know that it is their brother Joseph. Verse 4, And when they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up and follow after these men, and when you overtake them, say unto them, Why have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it with the cup from which my Lord drinks, and whereby indeed he divines, he uses it to tell the future? You've done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Why in the world does my Lord say these things? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth on our first trip we have brought again unto you out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of our Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of our ser thy servants it be found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And Joseph said no, or the steward said no, let it be according to your words, and he with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. And they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and they opened every man his sack, and he searched, and he began at the eldest, left off at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their clothes, and they loaded everything back up on their animals, and they returned to the city, and Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and we will sing this morning, Father, I lift my hands to thee. Father, I lift my hands to thee no one 
myself from thee Whither shall I go Whither shall I go May the Lord bless the reading of His Word and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Thank you, musicians. These boys are in a heap of trouble. They have made a second trip to Egypt. They had to bring their brother Benjamin on this second trip. They did not bring him on the first trip because their father Jacob wouldn't let him go because his other son, Joseph, has been gone for 20 years and he thinks he was eaten up by a wild beast and he doesn't know that it was Joseph's own brothers that sold him to some Ishmaelites headed into Egypt. And there they sold him to a man named Potiphar And after years of serving Potiphar, Joseph was put in jail on a false accusation. And then God gave the Pharaoh dreams. Nobody could interpret them. It got around to Joseph because two men had been in prison with Joseph, whose dreams Joseph had interpreted. And he told the Pharaoh, there was a guy in prison with me who interpreted my dream and the dream of the baker. And Pharaoh said, get him. This was a troubling dream. I've got to know what it means. And they got Joseph out. Joseph came before the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh heard his dreams. He heard that the famine was coming. And Joseph not only told him a famine was coming, he said, this is what you can do about it. And because the Pharaoh was so impressed, and of course the Lord was in all of it, because he was so impressed, he made Joseph immediately He put him in charge of everything. And he said, only I will be a a higher authority and power than you. You'll be second in rank only to me. And Joseph was 30 years old when he became the governor of Egypt. So in just a short while, the seven years of famine happened. Not only Egypt, but Everywhere around, they had seven good years. And in the seven good years, Joseph built storehouses and prepared for the seven bad years that were coming. And I've said before, imagine that you could read the newspapers and see the television report seven years in advance. You'd know which stocks to buy. You'd know which buildings to buy. You'd know which lands to buy and which to sell. But that's what happened With Joseph, the Lord said you're going to have seven good years, but then that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. So he built all these storehouses, and then when the years of famine came, of course, his own family down in the land of Canaan, they had to have some food. So their father sent their son, all of his sons, into Egypt except for Benjamin. Benjamin was the only boy that he had left of Rachel, the woman that he loved, and he kept him and he would not send him. When they came before their brother Joseph, they didn't recognize him. He was the governor. He accused them of being spies. 
They said, no, we're not spies. We're from Canaan, and we, uh, we have an old father. He, he asked him about his family. And to make a long story short, he took one of their brothers, Simeon, and put him in prison. And he said, I'll hold him as hostage until you come back. And when you come back, you make sure that you have that other boy, that youngest brother, Benjamin, with you. So now, when we take up this chapter, they are on their second trip, and they have Benjamin because they couldn't get any food without Benjamin. And now Joseph pulls something on them, and we've already studied the details of the verses I've just read. He hides his silver cup in the sack of Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin are full-blood brothers. They had the same mother. But the other boys are sons of Leah and sons of Bila and the other Zilpah, the other maid of Leah and Rachel. And so Joseph has already tried them somewhat, but now he's putting them through more trials. And he tells the steward of his house, I want you to take this silver cup. I want you to fill everybody's sack with corn the money they brought to buy the corn, put that back in their sack, and I want you to put the silver cup in the sack of the youngest boy, which is Benjamin. Then uh, when he gave them a little time to get out of town, then he told his steward, you go out and catch them, and you accuse them of stealing that silver cup. And, of course, they said, oh, no, we didn't do anything like that. And, of course, as I keep reminding you, they have completely forgotten what happened 20 years ago when they sold their brother Joseph. They, they've totally put that out of mind. That's over and done with. But it's not out of the mind of Joseph. He's now the governor, and it's not out of the mind of the Lord. And the Lord had told them in two dreams that he gave to Joseph that they were going to bow down to Joseph one day. And you read right here with me, when they came back into the presence of Joseph, having found that silver cup in the sack of Benjamin, they were absolutely in confusion. And they said, we'll all be your servants. We'll be your slaves until we straighten this thing out. And he says in verse 17, oh no, only the man in whose hand the cup is found will be my servant. The rest of you can go back home to your father. Now he's testing them. He knew that many years ago they didn't care anything about him. Now he wants to know if they care anything about his blood brother Benjamin. They've got Simeon. He's already released him and led him out and the in the last chapter, the chapter ends with all of these brothers in the house of the governor having a party, having a feast. Everybody's happy. Then the next morning, they get up early to leave. This is what it says in verse 3 of chapter 44. As soon as the morning was light, the men went their way. And then, of course, the steward catches up with them. He accuses them of stealing the silver cup. They deny it. Then when they find the cup in Benjamin's sack, they came back to Joseph's house. And look at, again at verse 14. What did they do when they came back into his house? They fell before him on the ground. 
What did God say they would do? He said, you'll fall before your brother Joseph on the ground. They said, we'll never do it. Listen, my friends, never tell God what you won't do. Never tell him what you won't do. Just as sure as shooting. When you tell him you won't do it, you'll do it before he does anything for you. He'll do it. And they're in a world of trouble. Now, you have to put yourself in their shoes. They don't know that Joseph is their brother that they sold. They don't know that the governor of Egypt is the one that they, were envi- that they envied and they were jealous of. They've forgotten all about him. But Joseph knows them. And Joseph is putting some trials upon them. Now, I believe, to get a little bit ahead of the story, I believe that in this story, Joseph represents our Lord Jesus, the Savior. Joseph is in total control of all the food needed for survival in that part of the world. He sets the price for the food. He's in control of the quantity of food that can be purchased. He is in total control of his brothers and all that happens to them. And his brothers are at his mercy and his discretion. Isn't that the way it is with us before the Lord? The Lord is in total control of everything in this world. You may look at the world and think that it's out of control, but I tell you, though this is the devil's world, and I can show you passages of Scripture that says the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. The devil said to Christ when he tempted him in the wilderness, he says, this world is mine. I've been given it and I can give the kingdoms of this world and the riches of this world to anyone I please. That's another study. But what I'm trying to tell you is above that is the sovereign God who works out things according to the counsel of his own will. And he gave Joseph that dream 20 something years before and he told him you're going to be exalted to a position and all your brothers are going to bow down to you. And he was foolish enough to tell his brothers that dream and they all poo-pooed it and they mocked him and they laughed at him and they said, we will never bow to you. Here they are in verse 14 of chapter 44, falling on their faces before Joseph. I believe, my friends, There have been arguments and theological splitting of hairs in the last few years about all kinds of doctrines, and I think sometimes we make mountains out of molehills. I don't know if you've ever heard any of the arguments about so-called lordship salvation. Well, let me just tell you this. Jesus was born Lord. When he lived in this world, he lived in this world as Lord when he died on the cross, they wrote up over this accusation in his head, the accusation, this is Jesus, he's the king of the Jews, he's the Lord. When he rose from the grave three days later, that certainly proved he was the Lord. He ascended into heaven, he's now seated at the right hand of God. Is he not the Lord? He is the Lord. You can't have a half Jesus. 
Yeah, let's give the Lord praise. You can't have a half Jesus. He's Lord, he's Savior, and as we're going to see, he's the intercessor. Without him, you can't have anything from God. Without him, you can't receive anything from God. Without him, the Lord will not hear you. If you don't approach him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not gain an audience with heaven. Joseph's brothers, the scoundrels that they were, they represent, I'm ashamed to say, you and me. They represent sinners and liars in a land of spiritual famine and death. That's what this world is, a land of spiritual famine and death. And they've been pursued and arrested on suspicion of stealing a silver cup from the governor. They're charged, according to verse 4 and verse 6 and 7, of rewarding good for evil. They have earnestly pled their innocence. They have argued, would we have returned the money that we brought the first time? No, yeah, you would have returned it because you didn't come back to return the money. You came back because you had to have some food. And it was your father who gave you the money. It wasn't your idea. He doubled the money when they came back. They argued about their innocence. Well, they're certainly not innocent. They sold their brother. They offered to submit to whatever penalty was laid upon them if they were found guilty. Because they never thought that they'd be found guilty. Benjamin, in whose sack the silver was found, was the very one that they could not afford to give up. So what can they do? They can only do what we can do. What is it? They can throw themselves on the mercy of the governor. Verse 14, they fell down before him on the ground. And since, verse 16, and since they had no way to clear themselves, Judah speaks up for them now. And Judah says, what shall we say unto my Lord? Verse 16, what shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. They dare not, even though they are confused, they don't know how in the world that cup got in their sack. They don't know how that money got in their sack. But they're not going to stand up to the governor and say, you're a liar. They're not going to say that. They're not going to tell the governor he's a liar. So they start confessing their guilt. You know, when you come before God, don't come haughty. Come in humility. Come humbling yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ, read the Gospels. He always passed by and rebuked the self-righteous. But those who sought him for mercy, he always received them. Always received them. How can we clear ourselves, they said. They acknowledged, notice this, they acknowledged the hand of God in all of these events. That's what they say in verse 16. God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. And they submit to the governor as his slaves. 
Again, put yourself in their state. They are in a state of confusion. They do not know the governor is their brother. When they last saw the governor, they were eating and drinking with him. And actually, Joseph has done them a good favor. He has made them look at themselves. He has made them see themselves for what they are, desperate sinners caught in a trap of their own making. And I bet you they're thinking, if we hadn't sold our brother years ago, none of this would be happening. This was like a nightmare. They are captive in the land of Egypt by the governor of Egypt, likely to never get out of prison. Their aged father is back in Canaan along with their wives and children, and they have no hope of ever returning. You know, I, I see on the news all the time, I'm sure there's a story behind it, but I see on the news about people over in lands that are at war or in Russia, or in China, and then they make a big headline about the United States getting them out. What are they doing over there? <laughs> I can't figure that out. Now, some of you are going to get mad at me, but I see, I see also, I see guys, it's, 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 it's almost equivalent of men and women that they climb these mountains, they climb these huge mountains, and then they get caught up there, and then they want the world to stop and rescue them. And I think I would say, if you're climbing, you're climbing at your own risk. If you go over to Russia and you go over to China and you go over to some of these other nations, unless you're a missionary and you feel, feel that God would have you to go there, that's a different game, you're going at your own risk. What do these men need? What do they need? They need an intercessor. They need somebody to stand in the gap they need somebody to plead their cause with the governor. They need somebody who can bend his heart and his will toward mercy. They need someone who knows them in and out and who knows the Pharaoh in and out. They need somebody that knows them and somebody that knows the governor. Somebody that can be their intercessor. They offer to be his slaves thinking they might find a way of getting Benjamin out of it. But the governor, in verse 17, he said, oh, no. No, no. He said, only the one in whose sack the cup was found, he's going to be my slave. The rest of you can go home. He said that to test them, to see if they would go home and leave their brother. Then what happens? Oh, this is so tender. I wish I had more time than one little study, but we just don't have it. Then what happens? Look, look at this verse right here. Verse 18. It says, Then Judah came near. Judah, that's one of their brothers, came near. Out of which tribe there were 12 boys of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Though Israel had 12 sons, and each son became a father of one of the 12 tribes. And one of the tribes is Judah. Out of what tribe did our Lord Jesus Christ come? Out of the tribe of Judah. He came from the tribe of Judah. And so this guy, Judah, is a beautiful picture of our Lord's intercessory work for us. They need an intercessor. And it says, Judah came 
near. He came near. Now, you know of anybody that's nearer the creator of the universe, the God and Father of all, than the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son? I remember Chuck Harris talking years ago when he played for the University of Georgia football team. I remember seeing Chuck play in the Sugar Bowl back before they had championship playoffs. And that's when they played the University of Pittsburgh and Tony Dorsett was playing his last game. And the linebacker for Georgia was Chuck Harris, an old friend of mine. And Chuck Harris told a story about one of the fellows on the Georgia football team that had gotten lazy and didn't show up for practice, didn't do what he was supposed to do, and the coach said, you, can, you got your walking papers, I'm going to let you go. And he realized that he had made a mistake. And he was sitting out on a bench with his face in his hands. He was weeping, he was crying, he knew that he had goofed up, and a little boy came walking by and said, what's the matter, mister? Oh, and he started telling little boy's tale. And little boy said, come go with me. And this giant of a man is about six foot six, six seven. Weighed about 325. He took that little boy, leading him, led him into the big building there, led him through all these secretaries. Chuck Harris said, but not one secretary even looked up. They didn't even look up and say, who is this? Where are you going? They, they never said a thing. They just walked right past the secretary, walked through a couple of doors, walked into the door, and there was the office of the, of the head coach of the University of Georgia football team. And he said, the little boy walked up to the desk, and he said, Dad, Daddy, he said, he wants to talk to you. He was able to get him in because he was the son of the football coach. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ is the son of God. That He's the only one that can get you in. Nobody else can get you in. He alone can get by all the doors, all the things that keep us out from heaven. Judah came near. Notice how Judah talks now in verse 18. Judah came near and he said, oh, my Lord. Oh, he shows respect. He shows reference. He addresses him, calls him Lord. And yet people think they can rush into the presence of the governor of the universe. Then he says, oh, my Lord, let thy servant. He says, I'm your servant. The word would be better translated slave. I'm your slave. Let me have a little word with you. Let me speak a word in my Lord's ears. Don't be mad with me. I just want to talk to you. You're like Pharaoh. You are the representative of Pharaoh. You have the power and the respect of everyone in Egypt, even Pharaoh. He calls himself and his brothers servants. My friends, every human being, we have never learned this lesson in thousands of years, and I don't guess we're going to learn it unless the Lord teaches us. Every human being was created to serve the governor of the universe. 
You have no purpose for existence unless you discover that. You are created, and I was created, to serve the governor of the universe. In every person, every human being, is either a willing servant or a rebellious servant who seeks to be free from the rule of the governor. But are we not in the same shape and situation as these men were, multiplied by infinity? Let not thine anger burn against thy servant. Thou art even as Pharaoh. He fears his anger. He confesses the governor's sovereign authority. You're like Pharaoh. So their prayer, they need an intercessor, and their prayer is answered in Judah because he begins to make intercession for them all. And when you read his intercession, when you read his intercessory prayer, I suppose I could call it, from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, you're going to be convinced that the emphasis in his prayer is upon their father, not upon themselves. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, I do always those things that please my father. He said, I came into this world to serve my father. I do the will of my father. I seek the glory of my father. The Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect human servant. He did and lived and thought and acted as we should, but we don't and we can't. That's why we need an intercessor. These brothers have an intercessor in their brother, Judah. Look at the tenderness of his words. He says, you ask me, verse 19, you ask me, do you have a father or a brother? And I told you in verse 20, I said, we have a father. He's an old man. And he has with him a child of his old age, a little one. He's talking about Benjamin when they first came on their first trip. And we told you that he has another brother and his brother is dead. Doesn't realize he's talking to the brother that he thinks is dead. And he alone is left of his mother and his father loves him. And you said to us, verse 21, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes upon him. And I told you last week, we don't know that Joseph knew that Benjamin was even alive. He may have thought they had done away with Benjamin like they did away with him. They said, I want to see him with my own eyes. And then at verse 22, we told you, he can't come with us. He can't leave his father. If he leaves his father, his father will die. And you said, verse 23, except your youngest brother come down with you, you will not see my face anymore. And so it came to pass, verse 24, when we told our father, your servant, these words, our father finally relented and he said, verse 25, he said, okay, go and buy us a little food. And we told him, verse 26, we can't go down unless Benjamin is with us, unless the youngest brother is with us. The governor said we cannot see him unless our youngest brother is with us. Verse 27, my father said to us, you know, my wife, that's Rachel, she gave me two sons. 
And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I haven't seen him since. He's talking about Joseph, and he doesn't realize again. He's talking. He's telling this story to Joseph. And uh, his father goes on to tell him, verse 29, If you take this one from me, Benjamin, and something happens to him, you're going to bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So now Judah concludes, verse 30, when I come to thy servant who is my father, if I go back and Benjamin is not with us, his life is bound up in the lad, it's going to come to pass when he sees that Benjamin is not with us, that he'll die. And thy servants will be the cause of bringing down his gray hairs, our father, with sorrow to the grave. Not only that, Judah says, verse 32, he says, speaking of himself, he said, I became the surety for Benjamin. We had a whole study on suretyship. I became responsible. I became the guarantor. I signed and said, if, if this happens, then I'll bear the blame. If we take Benjamin, I'll guarantee his safety. I'll get him back to you. If I don't get him back, you take my sons, kill them, whatever you want to do, and I'll bear the blame forever. So I became the surety. And that's what he says in verse 32. So he says, I'm begging you now. I'm begging you, verse 33. Let me stay instead of Benjamin. Let me take his place. Let me be the bondman. Let me be the substitute. Let me be the one that you keep and put in prison. How in the world, verse 34, I've thought about it. I don't know how I can go back to my father and not have Benjamin with me because I'll see all the evil that would come on my father as a result of not having Benjamin. What a story. What a plea. Brings tears to my eyes thinking about it right now. I can't go back without Benjamin. If I go back without Benjamin, my father will die. Please, sir, let me take his place. Let me be his substitute. Keep me and put me in prison and let him go back. That's what Christ did for us. That's exactly what he did for us. He stood in our very room and in our very stead. Again, the focus of Judah's intercession is upon their father. And the whole work of Christ, the whole work of Jesus, who is the Christ, was upon the Father. He sent me, he said. I did not come of myself. He sent me. I came willingly. I give my life willingly. No man takes it from me. I give it willingly. This commandment have I received from my Father. You can read all that in the Gospel of John. What is an intercessor? What is it to make intercession? Intercession is to speak to someone on behalf of someone else. Now, in the interest of time, I'm not going to have you turn to these passages, but I'm going to now close with several passages of Scripture, and you can look them up. You remember the prophet Isaiah? You remember the great chapter on the suffering servant? Joshua Waltz led us this morning in singing some of the verses from Isaiah 53. He was numbered with our transgressions. Listen to this verse, Isaiah 53, verse 12. He has poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many, and he made intercession. 
for the transgressors. What that means is the death of Jesus was as an intercessor to intercede on behalf of someone with a specific emphasis upon the fact that what is being done is being done for the sake of someone else. That is what intercession is. That is what the Greek word intogchano, which is used in the New Testament, means. Romans 8.34. Listen to this. Let's turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. And let's look at briefly verse 34. In verse 33, he asked, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. John, Romans 8, 34. Who is he that can condemn? Who can condemn us who have believed in Jesus? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. When Jesus came into the world, he came into the world as an intercessor. His entire life and ministry was one of intercession. He came to intercede. He died to intercede, and now he lives to intercede. That's what we read in verse 34. He's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Once he finished his earthly ministry, then he sent the Holy Spirit to make intercession for us. Romans chapter 8. You're in Romans 8, verse 26. The Spirit helps our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us. That is the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know how biblically correct it is, but I read a story about a man that said he prayed certain prayers, and then when he got to heaven, he heard those prayers, and he said, that's not what I prayed. <laughs> and the angel said, no, that's not what you prayed, but that's what they were when they got here when the Spirit of God got through with it. <laughs> the Spirit makes intercession for us. He helps our infirmities. He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I'm asking you this. I'm going to close with this. These brothers desperately needed an intercessor. I'm asking you, do you have one? If they needed an intercessor with the governor of Egypt, don't you think you need one with the governor of the universe? Listen to this. Listen to this. I'm going to tell you where it is. You can read it later. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Listen now. This man, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. What did the priest do? The priest went to God on behalf of the people. The prophet spoke for God to the people. 
We have a high priest, an intercessor, who goes to God on our behalf, who offered himself to God on our behalf, who stood in our very room instead and offered himself on our behalf. So he says, we have a high priest who has an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. We have an intercessor. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we have the best lawyer in the universe. He's an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus has never lost a case, but guess what? He only takes the case of those who confess that they're guilty. He doesn't take the case of innocent people. He takes the case of those who confess their guilt, and he has never lost a case. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2, 1. Do you have an intercessor with God? I can recommend the Lord Jesus who is the Christ, he is the Son of God. Judah is a beautiful picture of him. That's what his brothers need. They got it in Judah. We need one. We got it from the tribe of Judah in Jesus our Lord. Trust him. Call upon him. Commit yourself to him. Believe upon him, and he will save you.